It's Earth Day, so what's logistics doing to be kind to the Earth? Higher fuel costs are being passed on to shippers, and new rounds of funding for supply chain tech. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories, as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the group editorial director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by Aptian. Aptian is a global provider of mission-critical, industry-specific logistics and transportation management solutions. Aptian Routing and Scheduling delivers advanced transportation management systems to world-leading brands, helping them streamline daily operational processes. If you're ready to see savings of up to 30% and unlock the value of your transportation operation, Aptian can help. For more information, visit aptian.com and discover what's next now. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors, Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham, will be along to provide their insights into the top stories of this week. But to begin, today we celebrate Earth Day, the one day set aside each year for us to take stock of how we're treating our environment. So how's the logistics industry doing at meeting its sustainability goals? Joining us from Dublin, Ireland is our guest to discuss that. She is Susan Boylan, a Senior Research Director in the Logistics and Customer Fulfillment Team at Gardner. Welcome, Susan, and thanks for joining us on Logistics Matters. Thank you for having me, David. A recent UN report shows that more must be done immediately to keep global warming under the the 1.5 degrees Celsius point above which it's believed that some climate change will be irreversible. So how are we doing on that goal? Not well, David, if I'm going to be frankly honest. There was the hopeful expectation that maybe the downturn for COVID-19 would slow the advance of climate change. You've seen the bounce back and there's no sign though that we are growing back greener. Carbon dioxide emissions, they're rapidly recovering after that temporary blip due to the slowdown. And as a result of this, we're not even close to our reduction targets. If anything, if anything, there's an increasing likelihood from several scientific reports that the temperatures could temporarily breach the threshold of 1.5 degrees Celsius above the pre-industrial area in the next five years. So now this, of course, has prompted greater focus on reducing carbon emissions from all areas, but there's no doubt about it. It's time to accelerate our activity on carbon emissions reductions, and it will be that level of increased focus that will dictate whether we can meet the 1.5 degrees Celsius point or not. And of course, logistics and transportation accounts for a good portion of that, not not the, the major portion, but a good chunk of it. So one of the ways that logistics companies are trying to do that is by buying offsets. Um, are they really just doing penance for paying fees for the pollution that our supply chains produce, or are offsets really making any kind of a change? Well, there's no doubt that offsets do provide, um, and I'm, I like the word penance there, they, they probably do provide a certain level of guilt alleviation if, you, if you're thinking about it. And for almost every logistics movement, whether that's a person yourself or a product, you are offered the opportunity to offset a lot of supply chain services or products. Now, there are benefits to it, obviously, for trees being planted, et cetera, et cetera, but they will only go so far. And the more practical levers for CO2 emissions should be leveraged first. Mode optimization, mode changes, customer behavior notice, investments in clean technology. They should be all actioned 
first before you consider offsets. At the top of our emissions pyramid in Gartner, the offsets is the top piece. So really more preventative than corrective, which is what offsets are is the way to go here. I mean, there's still good reasons to buy offsets and there's a, there's a thought process that they would provide greater environmental awareness, but we cannot and really should not rely on the offset market to reverse climate change. Now, some would argue that purchasing offsets is easier than continuing to restrain consumption and that that feel-good factor of buying offsets could actually be counterproductive as it can increase consumption. But I suppose that's more down to individualistic behaviour rather than the collective good. So while they are an option potentially to bridge a gap, only after you've pulled all your other levers should you look at offsets. That certainly makes sense. One initiative that the maritime industry is taking is the IMO 2023 regulations. Can you explain the, what the goals of the, those regulations are and the expected progress that will come from them? So the International Maritime Organization has agreed to a proposal to improve carbon intensities of ships by 2% annually between 2023 and 2026. Now that may not sound like much, but ultimately they're looking for a 40% reduction in the carbon intensity of fleets by the existing fleet by 2030. Now that's a big ask. There are two requirements. First of all, there's the carbon intensity indicator where ship owners will have to calculate the carbon intensity factor for each ship annually, and then develop a plan to cut the carbon intensity to meet those targets set out by the IMO. And this is the aim of this is to improve the energy efficiency of ocean going vessels. In addition to that, ships will have to calculate their energy efficiency existing ship index, EEXI, for ships over 5,000 gigatons, and they will have to establish their carbon intensity indicator rating, and then have to have their classification. So the ships will get a rating of their energy efficiency based on these two measurements of an A, B, C, D, or E, obviously A being best. Now the IMO are going to be quite vociferous around this. They're encouraging administrations, port authorities, and other stakeholders to provide incentives to ships rated as an A or B. Ships rated D or E for three consecutive years must submit a corrective plan to show how the required index of C or above can be achieved. Now, what does this mean to shippers and service providers? Well, there are three options essentially for those D and E ships. Recalibration, where the ship is dry docked and it's recalibrated to meet the standards. They may look at the ship, the vessel itself and say, well, the juice isn't worth the squeeze here. We will scrap the vessel or slow steaming, which allows you to reduce your carbon emissions from, from your ocean going vessel. Now these are available, but they also have the potential to shrink ocean vessel capacity. So now is the time to have the conversation with your ocean free forwarder to see what are their plans around IMO 2023 and what impact it's going to have on you as their customer. Right, of course, ocean shipping is just part of the puzzle. Uh, the biggest polluters uh, probably in logistics would be those over-the-road vehicles. And we see steps to move public, private, and commercial transportation to electric vehicle platforms. Yeah, we also have seen reports in the news lately of the shortage of lithium needed to make all those future batteries. And we, of course, lack the charging infrastructure that's going to be needed to make that all happen. So is moving away from internal combustion engines realistic? To be honest, David, I don't think we're going, I think the reality is that we will have no choice. 
but to move away, um, either legislatively or based on the input from your various stakeholders, particularly in the light of the lack of progress we have seen in terms of reducing CO2 emissions. Yes, I've also read the reports around um, the lithium shortage, but there are other activities that are underway to try and mitigate the amount of lithium needed. I read a, a few articles on how this is going to be achieved. Um, recycling so that you don't have to mine each time for lithium. Um, but again, this is at the very start of its life, so in its infancy, so that must be escalated. You know, many are searching for a replacement for lithium. Salt or sodium is a close chemical to lithium, um, but it's also three times heavier, so that causes a problem, lower cell voltage. A team at the Karlsruhe Institute of Technology in Germany has developed a prototype battery based on seawater which I thought was super interesting. And also iron could be perhaps a strong lithium substitute. So while we are looking at the reality of moving away from internal combustion engines, I think considering this, the lack of progress for CO2 emissions reductions, that's going to happen. It's just how do we solve the problem of how we power these batteries? And there's plenty of activity to try and find substitutes for lithium as well as using lithium for that. Well, let's hope that future technology makes it here as soon as possible. Indeed. <laughs> what steps should carriers be making to reduce their carbon footprints? I suppose it depends on where you are in your sustainability journey, Dave, to be honest. Like the first thing you've got to establish, let's imagine you're at the start, is to establish what your current CO2 emissions are. Collect your baseline data over a 12-month period, and this will give you your starting point. However, a lot is going to depend on the carbon neutrality targets of your customers. So it's important to understand what your customers' targets are and whether you're in a position to either A, help or B, hinder to your customers deliver their objectives. And you also need to understand what investment will be required if you're to meet both theirs and your targets. You can, as a carrier, expect an increase from your customers in terms of requests around your sustainability targets and capabilities. Questions around sustainability are becoming far more prescriptive in RFPs and RFQs, and carriers will need to be able to answer these questions comprehensively. And you need to keep abreast of the latest developments and best practices in the industries. Some 3PLs are negotiating at a scale on behalf of their subcontractors to convert to sustainable transport, if you're operating on behalf of the 3PL of your subcontractor, it's worth engaging with them on their sustainability strategy and see can you leverage their economies of scale to bring you along in that sustainability journey. We just talked about carriers. What are some of the practical things that shippers can do to move to more sustainable supply chains? Well, there's a lot you can do, but there are trade-offs, Dave, to be honest. I mean, you can look at how you're increasing the mold. Um, Two of the biggest levers that we see um, shippers pulling is the change to mode. So moving, say, from air to sea freight. Um, if, you're in, if you're in the last mile sector of the, of the logistics business, increasing cargo bikes, I mean, it depends on your, your end product, of course. If you've got a big caterpillar digger, it's not going to go on the back of a cargo bike. So you need to kind of be product, product savvy when it comes to how you change your mode freight. Load optimization, huge piece. You know, how much more can you get for your CO2 emissions book, so to speak? Nudge your behaviors, nudge your customers' behavior, actually, excuse me, nudge your customers' behavior. Find out if they are willing to have a more sustainable um, journey for your product, even if it means an increased lead time. 
You can look at empty movements. You can look at your network design. You can look at your current policies. Are they up to scratch? Where do you want to see yourself? Do you want to see yourself as being a basic compliance, you know, where you're just looking at risk avoidance from a sustainability perspective? Or do you want to be a first mover in this space where sustainability is going to be a source of your competitive advantage? And the other thing is, and I call it um, Dick, the prickly pair of cost. Understand the cost of your transition. You need to assess your green premium and your capability to invest, whether that's within an in-house environment or whether that's alongside your 3PL. But again, those areas, cost, capability, customer behavior would be three that I would be looking at straight away. All very good advice. We've been talking with Susan Boylan, our Senior Research Director in the Logistics and Customer Fulfillment Team at Gardner. Thank you, Susan, for joining us. You're very welcome, David. I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. And Victoria, you wrote this week about higher fuel costs are forcing higher expenses for shippers. Can you share the details? Absolutely, Dave. Yeah, we just can't seem to escape the effects of inflation, and it's really uh, hitting shippers hard. They continue to struggle with high freight and transportation costs, for example, and it's driven by surging fuel prices and other market forces that are simply raising rates across the board. Uh, this was reinforced in a uh, recent second quarter outlook report from Cowan Research and third-party logistics service provider AFS Logistics. Um, their, their Cowan AFS Freight Index um, analyzes AFS logistics freight data across different transportation modes, including less than truckload, parcel express, parcel ground, and truckload. Uh, the most recent report, which was actually released last week, predicts record high rate levels for parcel and LTL shipments in particular, and again, driven mainly by um, fuel, particularly the fuel surcharges carriers are implementing. Just for a bit of background, AFS manages about $11 billion in freight spending for clients in North America, and this quarterly index, which is a relatively new report covering the logistics market, offers a sort of forward-looking view of transportation and freight industry trends. Uh, the companies use a team of data scientists who analyze AFS's client data to track trends over time and also predict conditions a few weeks out. So the report is, a, is released about the second week of each quarter, so it can provide that forward-looking view of what they expect to see in the remaining weeks. Back to the numbers, um, market conditions have pushed LTL carriers to adjust fuel surcharges, um, and that drove huge increases in fuel-related costs in the first, first quarter of this year. Um, according to the index, the average fuel charge among LTL carriers grew from about 28% in the fourth quarter of last year to 42% in March, so a really big increase there. Parcel costs grew as well. Both FedEx and UPS implemented changes to fuel surcharges, which our listeners will be familiar with. And that resulted in increases of about 129% in express parcel and 89% for ground parcel compared to last October. Now again, that's based on the Cowan AFS data, which measures what they call the net effective fuel charge. And that's the actual fuel paid as a percentage of total spend across their network. So this looks at a very specific set of data, but the bottom line is that shippers are paying a lot more to move freight today than they did just six months ago. It certainly seems that way. Um, you said that the index also tracks trends in the truckload market. What's the situation there? 
Yeah, that's right. And conditions are seem to be a bit better in that segment. Um, the index predicts slowing rate growth in truckload primarily due to um, anticipated you know, softening demand this year compared to last year. Uh, the monthly data point to continued rate per mile increases, but at a slower pace uh, compared to last year. Um, the index is expected to grow from about 25% in the first quarter to plateau at around 27% in the second quarter, which the researchers said is um, it's just a much lower growth rate than they've seen previously. I spoke to AFS's CEO, Tom Nightingale, about the report, and he was pretty clear that in general, higher costs are really going to continue for some time. When we spoke last week, diesel fuel prices had risen from $3.61 a gallon in early January to $5.14 a gallon at the beginning of the second quarter. He said the expectation is that those prices should come down to a more uh, reasonable, I put that in quotes, level of $4 to $4.50 a gallon, but he noted that that pricing, of course, is still very high. Um, Nightingale did offer some advice for shippers in this tough environment. Um, he said it's important to look at your freight spend holistically, and what he meant by that was that you, know, you shouldn't focus solely on you know, negotiating more favorable incentives on surcharges or fuel or a specific mode, um, but you should be looking across all modes of transportation for opportunities to save. Um, he suggested looking at alternate mode options, such as you know, converting parcel to LTL, LTL to multi-stop truckload and truckload to volume LTL, and also looking for non-premium parcel options that you know, may still meet your required timeframe. So some opportunities there to, to look into, but uh, again, the overall outlook is for much of the same uh, for the for the time being. Right. Thanks, Victoria. You're welcome. And Ben, you reported this week on the latest waves of investment funding coming into logistics tech startups. What more can you tell us? That's right. We've been covering many rounds of investment coming into startup firms in recent years. Uh, they come from sources like venture capital and private equity firms as well as large corporations, and sometimes we even see some of the wealthier tech executives themselves. Investors just seem to love logistics tech startups, and they obviously see a lot of potential for big future growth. This week, we saw the latest example of that, which was a $260 million round for the digital freight matching startup Convoy. It's actually even more than that, because the total includes uh, three parts. There's $160 million um, dollar equity round, $100 million venture investment, and $150 million line of credit. But in total, the investments value Convoy at $3.8 billion with a B. So you can see that this stuff is getting serious. Um, we've seen some big investment rounds before, uh, but this is among the largest. It also signifies that this sector of small startups uh, is starting to mature. For example, the Convoy round was what's called a Series E investment round starting at level A, B, C, et cetera, uh, that E level is typically the last stop before a startup goes public. And also its valuation has got to grab attention, that bottom line number. Uh, in investment lingo, we've talked before, it's a big deal when a startup gets over 1 billion in value, that they call that a unicorn. Uh, and at 3.8 billion, Convoy of course is nearly four times that now. So I asked the company, how long these investment rounds for logistics tech startups uh, can keep going, whether the little guys can just keep growing or whether we're gonna see some consolidation maybe, where they combine and get rolled up into bigger companies. And Convoy's co-founder and CEO, Dan Lewis, said that historically the freight industry has underinvested in technology. 
And over time, the traditional players have managed to still hold on tight to their market share. But between this flood of outside investment and the rise of new technologies and the turbulence caused by the pandemic, conditions might be right for those tables to start to turn. Well, sure, that makes sense. But isn't that what startup firms usually say? Yes, fair point. He's, they're pretty much paid to say that, right? Uh, but there are a number of reasons to think that Lewis is right about this one. Uh, I asked him whether his smartphone app that Convoy has designed works better just because we're currently in a historically very tight freight market where there's a ton of demand for truck space. But he said that the digital model actually works in any market because, as he says, efficiency is always king. So Lewis agreed that freight markets actually might be softening a little bit right now from their very, uh, very, very tight mark on the curve there. Uh, and that could tip the scales back toward shippers and away from carriers. I know shippers all uh, hope that that's true, those who are listening to us today. But Lewis said, uh, right now, we're at yet another challenging point for the US supply chain. Logistics leaders have been through one of the most volatile periods in freight history and drivers are being squeezed by record high fuel prices that have nearly doubled year over year. Businesses that run the most efficiently, Lewis said, will be better positioned to thrive when the market is tight and when the market is soft. So in Convoy's view, if a logistics firm is nimble enough, it can deliver a better experience for both shippers and carriers in any environment. And if that's true, of course, they'll win more users. So Lewis said, quote, we expect to see some consolidation it will be less about combining digital players and more about those tech-led companies uh, consolidating business from traditional incumbents that are unable to keep up with the rapid pace of innovation. So time will tell if he's right, but we can all agree we're certainly living through uh, some of those really turbulent times he described in the transportation sector. And some kinds, uh, those kinds of forces uh, is what's needed to lead to real change. Right. I guess about the only thing that's constant in this industry of late is change. Thanks, Ben. Glad to do it. We encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories. And check out the podcast notes section for some direct links on the topics that we discussed today. And our thanks to Susan Boylan of Gardner for being our guest today. We welcome your comments on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters at your favorite podcast platform. Our new episodes are uploaded each Friday. And speaking of subscribing, we encourage you to check out our sister podcast, Supply Chain in the Fast Lane. It's co-produced by the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals and Supply Chain Quarterly. This past Tuesday, we discussed the state of the rail market. Next Tuesday, we'll look at the 3PL market. Subscribe to Supply Chain in the Fast Lane wherever you get your podcast and be sure to catch the past episodes. And a reminder that Logistics Matters is sponsored by Aptian. Aptian Routing and Scheduling supports logistics and delivery fulfillment operations with the tools needed to optimize resources, automate route planning and proof of delivery processes, and drive savings of up to 30%. Your delivery operation can be a powerful vehicle to deliver game-changing customer service. Aptian Routing and Scheduling can help. Visit aptian.com and discover how now. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters when we'll talk to Michael McKicka of MHI and the Warehousing Education and Research Council. So be sure to join us. Until then, please stay well and have a great week. <music>